Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. All right, well, thank you, Pastor Jeff. Uh, If you would, open up your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, uh, will be in verses 13 to 18. <clears throat> One of the uh, realities of being a Christian in Scripture is don't think that the Bible isn't practical or the Bible doesn't connect with your life or something like that. We'll see that the Bible knows you very, very, very well. And God is very kind to make things, um, like on the level with you. Like, you know, they put things in stores right at the kids' eye level and reach. It's very helpful for parents. And so God does the same with His Word. So we need to be constantly reminded as Christians of the implications of Jesus' death on the cross and out of that only the incredible acceptance of God and the freedom you have before Him as His children. You need to have that beat into your head day after day after day. You'll never get to the point of maturity where you don't need to be reminded of that. Then, similarly, but on the other side of the coin, you'll need to be consistently exhorted, rebuked to not misuse your freedom as an excuse to just do whatever you want to do. And both those things are true. So if you're a new Christian, this is the beginning and end of our walk with Christ. We are accepted by the Father because of Christ, and yet you're going to constantly, for the rest of your life, battle your flesh to abuse that freedom just to keep doing what your flesh wants you to do. So as a Christian, that's what it is. And as a mature Christian, you probably know that the longer you're a Christian, the more you're aware of how depraved you are and sick you are, that though you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, you continue to indulge your flesh in shocking ways. Right? Both of those are true. And that's what we're going to see in our text this morning. So let me read Galatians 5, 13 to 18, pray, and then unpack this a bit more. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's ask God's help. Heavenly Father, our souls burn for your salvation, and so we ask you to come and comfort us now. How long must we endure in this world to forsake your precepts, your word, and persecute your beloved people, and teach us to never forsake your precepts, 
such that your testimonies, your words, your truth might always be on our lips. We ask your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. So you might see three things in this text. Right away in verse 13, we are free. Talk about that in a moment. So it's the fact of our freedom in Christ. Then the temptation to abuse our freedom. And then the call or the command of God to His children to love each other. So the fact of our freedom, the abuse of our freedom, and the right use of our freedom and love. So uh, your children, when they're little, are in a highly controlled, tyrannical environment. They don't really have any freedom. Right? Parents pick up and put them where they want them all the time. They don't have a choice of what they eat or when they eat. Everything in a child's life is tightly controlled. And rightly so, because they don't understand the threats around them. They will grab the very hot things and burn themselves. They don't know. And so parents have to protect them and control them. But there comes a time when a child gets to a certain age that they gain freedom. They get a driver's license. They have a job, they earn income, they leave their parents' home, they transition from childhood to adulthood, and then they're free. They're free. And you know that the consequences and the ramifications and the responsibilities that come with that freedom are massive. And children have to learn how to use that freedom. Hopefully in their younger years, they're learning how to control themselves and how to rightly use it. But you know... We can abuse it. So up to this point in the letter of Galatians, the main threat that the Holy Spirit has been teaching you is the threat of those from within the church who want to restrict your freedom. So if a child gains his freedom, he might have people around him who want to bring him back to childhood. Sometimes parents do this. They squish their 17-year-old and try to manage them like they're seven. And there's a fight because of it. And so within the church, though, false teaching would lay upon you burdens that you've actually been freed from. And that's what Paul's been dealing with. This issue of legalism, that is, making it seem as if your relationship with God and your acceptance with God is based on your performance of keeping certain laws, like being circumcised or eating this or not eating that, or keeping this ritual or ceremony and so on. And that brings condemnation because you know you don't keep the law very well, do you? And so your freedom is restricted. That's, that's what he's been dealing with this whole entire time. We're free. We're free from the law. Again, I'm going to talk about that in a second. But now what he's dealing with isn't the fact of our freedom, but our potential to abuse it. Our uh, uh, potential to use our freedom as a cover for indulging our carnal, fallen lusts. You you understand that, right? Yeah, that's what we're going to deal with. 
So again, we have the fact of our freedom. You were called to freedom. We have the abuse of our freedom. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity to, uh, for the flesh and then the right use, the godly use, the faithful use of your freedom. Love one another. So let's talk again about our freedom in Christ. Turn with me real quick to the right a few books, to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2. We want to continue to urge you to be reading your Bible every day. And we have a Bible reading program to do that. And in the last few weeks, we've read through the book of Hebrews. And I was reading this, I don't know, several days ago, maybe a couple weeks ago. And in verse 2, there is this astounding statement. And it helps us understand what it means that we are freedom in Christ. So I'm dealing with Galatians 5.13, the first half, you were called to freedom. I want to help you again understand what that freedom is. What's happening here in Hebrews is he's dealing with this same thing that they're dealing with in Galatians. That Christians still have to obey the laws given to Moses in order to be Christ's people. And here he's mainly dealing with Worship, sacrifices, temple rituals, and so on. In verse 1 it says, the law is just a shadow. That is, when animals were sacrificed, they didn't actually remove our sin, but they pointed to the one sacrifice to come that would remove our sin, Christ. It's just a shadow of the perfect to come. And then in verse 2, it gives you the reason why the animal, or like a supporting uh, reason why we can be confident that animal sacrifices aren't the thing. And so just listen carefully. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? If an animal sacrifice removed your guilt, you wouldn't have to keep sacrificing them, right? Because your guilt's removed. You're free. But animal sacrifices don't actually remove your guilt. That's why they have to constantly be keep being sacrificed to remind you that there's a sacrifice yet to come. That's what he's getting at. Otherwise, they would have, they would not have ceased to be offered. Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, listen to this, would no longer have any consciousness, consciousness of sins. Wouldn't that be nice to no longer have consciousness of your sins? You get, right? To no longer be conscious. Conscious. I can't say that word. Somebody say it for me so I can hear it. Conscious of your sins. So what he's saying is, animal sacrifice never provides the freedom of your conscience of your sins. But there is a sacrifice to come that can free your conscience of your sins. This is the Christian freedom. It's in our conscience. It's in our minds that when we look at God, we can be free in our conscience as if we've never sinned before Him. That's what it's getting at. How many of you have lingering regrets? Massive sins you did in years past that you just can't get over. Or even just the ongoing constant sin that you commit. How do you get free from that? It isn't by never sinning again. 
It isn't by you becoming a good little boy or a little girl. That's not the way to get freedom in your conscience from guilt before God and dread of death and fear that He is going to squash you again if you sin again. How do you get free from that? Well, by a sacrifice. By whose sacrifice? By Christ's sacrifice, which has been done. It's done. So you can be free in your conscience before God regarding your sin. That's the freedom we have in Christ, brothers, sisters. Isn't that wonderful? But see, it's it's so against our nature. It's so against the way this world works that you don't believe that. Right now, I know you don't. You're thinking to yourself, well, if I do that, I'll just keep sinning. If I delight in that kind of freedom, and if I really embrace that, then what's going to restrain my sin? Well, it will be your love for Christ. It won't be remaining in constant guilt and fear before Him. That's what He died to free you from. Listen to Luther here. Although the law, sin, and death trouble and terrify you, yet can they not, they cannot hurt you nor drive you to despair. The law was, is given as a good gift to teach us of our sinfulness, of our depravity, of our wickedness, of our filth, of our corruption. We do sin greatly. We are constantly aware of past sins, past regrets, ongoing battles and failure with temptation. But because of Christ, we can have freedom in our minds to know that God is our Father. Not because of our perfection, but because of Christ. Not because of our sacrifices, but because of Christ. For you were called to freedom, brothers. That's the freedom. That's the freedom. And this is something, if you're a young Christian, if you're a newer Christian, the rest of your life is going to be spent exercising faith, working hard to believe that. You'll never outgrow your need to work hard to believe that freedom is yours in Christ. You'll never grow out of that. If you're lazy and think that it'll come easy, think that you've accomplished that, You're lying to yourself. It's a constant battle to remind yourself in your conscience that you are accepted by God because of Christ and utterly free from all guilt, all fear of death, all hopelessness, all despair. It's a battle. It'll never stop. And so give yourself to it. Fight to believe the gospel. And that's the fact of our freedom. We also have the temptation on the other side to abuse it. Only, second half of verse 13, back in Galatians now, second half of 5.13, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So up to this point, Paul has been pastoring his people, defending them, protecting them against others who want to diminish their freedom and say, no, no, no. You don't have any freedom in your conscience before God unless you get circumcised, unless you don't eat this, unless you perform that ritual. Now he has to discipline them to not abuse their freedom. 
to use this freedom that we have to serve their own selfish, sinful desires and lusts, that as a pretense under their Christian freedom to do what they want and so actually destroy it. So this is, in the Bible, what we talk about when we talk about a hypocrite. Those who come on Sunday morning and sing of the freedom they have in Christ and then just live according to their own whims and desires and so on. And this is those who say amen to the gospel and then use filthy chorus language throughout the week. This is those who say something, but their life says otherwise. That's what he's getting at. And yet they still believe themselves to be a Christian because Jesus died. How many of you have heard the two words cheap grace before? Heard that? What is cheap grace? Well, it's churches who just say, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, and that's it. It's grace without repentance. It's grace without growing day by day diligently to become more like Jesus. It's a view of Christianity that so long as I'm baptized, so long as I prayed this prayer, so long as I attend this church, so long as my parents are Christian, then I'm going to heaven. It doesn't matter what my life is like. That's what he's getting at. So, we have been freed from sin in our conscience before God, and our life is supposed to be lived trying to keep in step with that freedom. Because if you were freed from the power of sin, you're not supposed to use your freedom to indulge sin. But that's what we do. That's the temptation. But we are supposed to be enslaved. Did you know that? So, if you continue in verse 13, but through love serve one another. That word serve, that verb, is the same as the nouns in the Bible for slave. The idea here is that you were freed from slavery to sin, freed from enslavement to the devil, freed from enslavement to fear before God that if you don't do this or do that, He's going to be against you. He's going to harm you. He's going to make your life hard. You're freed from that. And you're freed to be enslaved to each other in love. That's how free you are. You're so free that you can submit yourself to what each other wants. So again, let me review what's going on here. You have this wonderful freedom in Christ before God. He does not view you as a sinner. He views you as forgiven and accepted and washed and cleansed and righteous in Jesus. Completely free in your relationship with God. What's that for? Your life now, what's it to be used for in that freedom? What for? There's two roads that go from there. One is wide and easy and it's just indulging your flesh. Selfishly serving yourself. The other is narrow and hard and it's you submitting yourself in love to serve each other. 
And this is summarized in this one word love. So turn two books to the right to Philippians. Let's look at a text that unpacks that thought a little bit. Philippians chapter 2. So this is going to be a bit confusing for us. Because prior to this in the book of Galatians, it's spoken only negatively about the law. That God's law is what we've been freed from. God's law is a taskmaster that harshly condemns. But now here, the law is spoken of as positively. Through love, serve one another. That's the command, right? So how can law, how can law in the Bible be spoken negatively of and now positive? How can we do that? Well, how many of you have heard the words justification and sanctification? You've heard those words, I hope? Law has nothing to do with your justification, except to show you your need for Jesus. In your place of ultimate acceptance with God, the law has no place at all. You're free from it. But now as God's child, as God's son, as God's daughter, God's law shows you how to live as that. It doesn't condemn you like in justification. It shows you how to live as a free son. And it's summarized in one word. There's not hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. There's one. Love. Think back to the garden. We talked about this before. There's only one negative law in the garden. There's only one. So God is not a God who wants to restrain your behavior with hundreds and hundreds of laws. He wants to give you one law to guide you by His Holy Spirit into how to use your freedom, and it's called love. And here in Philippians 2, we see a helpful explanation of this. So in Philippians 2, right away at the beginning, there's any encouragement in Christ, right? You have this great encouragement in your freedom in Christ. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in a full accord in one mind. So unity. But here's where we're getting to. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why? He goes on to say, this is what Jesus did for you. You know who the most free son of God is, who, who he is? It's Jesus. No one has more freedom before the Father in the universe than Jesus. He's been the eternal son of God. The Father has only and ever been pleased and delighted in his son because his son is glorious, righteous, perfect, full of wisdom and goodness and righteousness and he's completely free to live before the father and what did the son of god do with his freedom what did he do with it he set it aside he didn't count it as something to be demanded as something to be grasped as something to be held over others he emptied himself he took the form of a slave He took on our flesh. And being found in human flesh, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on the cross. So the Son of God used His freedom to do one thing. Love by sacrificing Himself for us. And this is what the Christian is called to do with his or her freedom. So could you imagine if you applied Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 to your marriage? That you counted your husband as more significant than yourself. That you looked at your husband and considered what his interests were and set aside your freedom, set aside your demands, and served him. What would that do for your marriage? If you weren't antagonistic, if you didn't view him as a threat to your freedom. Imagine what that would do with your relationship with your mom or dad, teenager. As you grow and try to figure out this freedom, this maturity, this wanting to differentiate from your dad or mom, and you didn't view them as a threat to your freedom, and set aside your own interests to serve your mother or father's interests, what would that do for your relationship? If you didn't look at leaders in the civil sphere as nincompoops who can't do anything right, That you constantly malign and mock and ridicule and talk big talk of freedom from whatever they say. But instead look to their own interest, to care for them, to pray for them. So that's our freedom. If we go back to Galatians, though, if you don't do that, verse 15 will be your reality. If you stand on your freedom and demand it from each other and are more concerned of the slights and injuries that others give you and not at the war within you, what will you end up being in relationships like? Biting and devouring, consuming. You know, the, the, the root of your conflict in your marriage or in your home or in your workplace is that you each demand the other serve your freedom. And that you do not use your freedom to serve the interests of others. Now, the difficulty here, of course, is there are people who are just flat out jerks. And who harm others, demanding certain things of them. So you have to use this wisely. So Paul is dealing with those who want to abuse the freedom of others who want to take their freedom to serve their own interests. Galatians has the problem of those using their freedom selfishly, and then they have a whole bunch of infighting. Now what follows in verse 16, 17, 18 is going to be played out in the rest of the letter. And he starts, but I say, he's signaling to you that he's starting a new section. So you have this fact of your freedom. You are utterly free in your conscience before God regarding your sin. It's as if you've never sinned. It's as if you're only righteous. Not because you are, but because Christ is. You have this temptation to constantly abuse your freedom and use it as a cover to indulge your sin. 
which you must not do. So how should you use your freedom? Well, love. Well, that sounds easy, right? Simple. I'm just going to love. Is it simple? Ah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mess. It's, it's terribly hard. Why? Well, verses 15 and, or 16 and 17 tell you why. Look at, look at verse 17. Pastor Jeff did this in the children's sermon. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Take that last line. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. These wants that hopefully you want to do are the new wants that God's Spirit has birthed within you. The Holy Spirit bringing us to faith in Christ. We read in the Bible that it's like before that time we had a heart that was hard. It didn't love God. It didn't seek to serve Him. It didn't love God's people. We were just hard to God. And the Spirit takes out that hard heart and puts in a spiritually alive heart with new desires to love God, to be with God's people on Sunday morning, to celebrate the Lord's Supper faithfully, to figure out the needs of each other and serve them, to no longer sin like you once did, but walk in righteousness. These have new wants. But right away, you become aware that there's a war within. That those wants are opposed not by forces outside of you, not by people in the world, not even by people in the church, but by you. You. Remember Jim Mogg? He was one of our elders, and he constantly used this phrase. That actually, I got irritated because he used it so much, but he's right. I've met the enemy, and the enemy is me. <laughs> so, the problem with you is you. We have this war within us. All right, why, why does Paul tell us that? I believe he's telling us this because you become convinced that becoming a mature Christian is that you kind of rise above the fray. That you define Christian maturity as no longer battling sinful desires. That the sinful desires just kind of get beat down and they don't, they're not so strong. You know that that's a lie? You'll never stop desiring to do wicked things. You'll always, always, always battle desires within yourself that are displeasing to God. That battle will never stop. It might change during different seasons of life or different ages of life. It might change. What is the definition of Christian maturity then? If it isn't no longer in desire what's evil, what's the definition? Fighting. That's Christian maturity. So that you keep fighting. You don't resign yourself that you're always going to give in. You fight. Or, in Paul's language, you walk by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. You choose by God's grace, in obedience to God's word, with the help of God's people, the worship of God's people, 
to walk by the Spirit and not gratify your flesh. It's not that there won't be a battle anymore. It's that you're fighting. You're repenting. You're confessing to each other. You're helping each other bear each other's burden of this battle. I think this is constantly true of Christians. You get depressed because your desires aren't going away. I must not be maturing. I must not be doing what's right. Like that's not that's not the point. That's not what you're going to get to. You're always going to desire that which is contrary to God. Why? Because you're sinful, fallen. You're redeemed. You're loved by God, but you still dwell in a sinful, fallen body with sinful, fallen desires. When you get to heaven, that'll be done. Praise God. But you aren't in heaven yet. And the mark of a mature Christian is fight. I coached football when Peter and James were in 7th and 8th grade. And you had kids that loved to hit. It was wonderful. They just had very little concern for their well-being. And then you had kids that were really, really tentative to hit. They almost always put their hands in front, and then they were constantly getting their hands smashed between helmets because they didn't want to hit. They didn't use their shoulder. They were very tentative. Christianity isn't that. You're going to have to hit. You're going to have to go to war. You're going to have to fight your own desires. Isn't that what Jesus said? You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. You're going to have to choose a walk by the Spirit. Let me define that real quick. And then I want to apply denying your own desires. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? I am very afraid that when you hear those three words, walk by the Spirit, what you think that means is you've got to listen to the Spirit's still small voice and feelings and that you have to listen to that. That's not what this means. This isn't this secret, subjective feeling that the Spirit puts inside of you. Now, that can happen, and He may speak to you. That can happen. But that's not what this phrase is mainly saying. To walk by the Spirit means to know and love God's Word and follow it by faith in the power that the Holy Spirit gives you. So don't separate God's Spirit from God's Word. So many times Christians think anything in the Holy Spirit is completely separate from what God's Word said, and it's only the Spirit directly between you and Him. And God's Word is not in that equation where God's Spirit leads you according to God's Word. And walking by the Spirit is walking according to God's Word. But not just out of duty, loving it. Because God's Word is wise and right and beautiful and righteous and perfect and it, it works. Do you know what it works? Just think of your miserable life when you didn't obey God's Word. Oh my gosh, you were miserable to be around. Nobody liked you. You didn't like yourself. All your relationships were terrible. 
God's word is so right and good and perfect. It's beautiful. Walking under the Spirit is like walking according to God's word. Okay. So we're going to walk by the Spirit and not gratify our flesh. And there is this war. And do you know that you'll never be able to, in this life, outgrow that battle, right? So let me give you a very helpful example of this before applying it specifically. In early Christian history, this is just 300-ish years after the time of Jesus. Because of this battle of the flesh, some Christian leaders got it into their head that the way to battle the flesh was to sell all their belongings and move out in the middle of the desert away from all temptations, particularly how decadent Rome was becoming. The world wasn't yet kind of Christian. Rome was still pagan, but it was on the edge of that. And they were seeing both within the pagan society and within the Christian society, it was just indulging the flesh. That's all that it was. And so some Christians being so disgusted by it and being so disgusted by their longings for these sinful things that the best thing we do is just like sell it all, leave everything and move out in the desert and just pray and fast and do all that. That sounds appealing in this world, doesn't it? That's why most of us live up here. If we could just like get away from the world... If we could just withdraw from society, the battle wouldn't be so strong, right? Wouldn't that be nice? If you would just stop looking at Facebook, for goodness sakes, your life would be so much better. Just detach, unplug, we say. Would that work? Listen to one of these desert fathers, they were called. This was a pastor. He was a... He translated the Bible from original Greek and Hebrew into Latin, and his translation of the Bible was used longer than any other translation, almost 1,500 years. Man, very useful in the church, but he did this. He lived nearly 40 years in the desert, outside of Jerusalem. Listen to this. (laughs) This is so good. Oh, how often I imagined that I was in the midst of the pleasures of Rome when I was stationed in the desert. So he's out in the desert, and all he's thinking about is the longings of Rome. <laughs> in that solitary wasteland, which is so burned up by the heat that it provides a dreadful habitation for monks, I, who because of the fear of hell had condemned myself to this hell, I had nothing but scorpions and wild animals for company, but I often thought about dancing in a chorus with girls. My face was pale from fasting, but my mind burned with passionate desires. The fires of sex seized within, seized within me. <laughs> like, he couldn't get away from the battle. Why? It was him. And so the Christian life is one of spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare in the Bible is you battling by faith, to walk according to the Spirit and not according to your fleshly desires. And that's the definition of Christian maturity. So, husbands, it's hunting season. Are any desires carnal, fleshly attached to that? 
How many are going to make your wife a widow and your children orphans for the next six, eight weeks? Seriously. I see your wives come on Wednesday night with all the kids that they've battled all day long and you've utterly abandoned her and left your kids. And you're going to do it for the next several weeks too. Right? Do you think that is pleasing to the Holy Spirit? What would God's word say to that? How about you teens who want to watch and listen to this or that? And you tell your parents you're so wise and so mature that it won't affect you. Or your friends. You have godless friends who have no love for Jesus and only and ever tempt you to do that which you know you shouldn't do. But you're so strong it won't affect you. Which is pleasing to the Spirit. Which is according to God's Word. You have conflict with others. And all that you think about is what they're doing wrong. And if they would just do this, then there wouldn't be the conflict. Again, what does the Bible say about conflict? Turn the other cheek. Check out the plank in your own eye before you check out the speck in theirs. You've got to fight to walk by the Spirit and not indulge the flesh to constantly accuse other people but deal with your own sin and turning away of not returning fire for fire. This is the practical level that he's getting down here to. This is mature Christianity. You have to fight. You have to deny yourself. You have to keep in step with the Spirit. If some who think it's the height of Christian maturity to be in the know about everybody else's business, They constantly have to be involved and know and have something to say. Busybodies. They're just indulging their flesh. They love to gossip, but they love to control. What if the Spirit, according to God's words, says just work hard with your hands, mind your own business, be at peace. The world, your family, your friends really don't need your input all the time. They'll be fine. So this is what we're getting at. Now, when it says walk by the Spirit, it doesn't mean perfection. There's, You will not get perfect at this. In fact, most of your life will be spent saying, God, I did it again. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And that is walking according to the Spirit. Repentance, asking forgiveness is walking according to the Spirit. Now, in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Paul returns again to remind you of the freedom that you have in the battle. When you came to faith in Christ, you were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does battle our flesh, teaches us to use our freedom to serve others. But this section ends by reminding us That since we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit and we are not under the law. The Spirit of God is with you. He is leading you to deny your flesh. He is giving you strength to battle. But He is going to be constantly teaching you. Your relationship with God, your acceptance with God isn't based on the law. You're free from that. You're not under 
a life of guilt any longer. You're free. And so walk in that. Let's pray. Father, we ask for help now to take your word with us. Pray that you would help us to know more and more the freedom you have given us in Christ, to delight in that freedom, to be free from sin and guilt and death and fear, rejection. That is not our lot anymore. We are free and accepted by you. And yet, God, help us to use our freedom in a way that pleases you, especially to enslave ourselves to the needs and good of others. But God, help us to grow up in this. Help us to fight this battle to keep in step with the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit and not indulge our fleshly desires. Oh God, please help us here. Help us to use this freedom in love to serve our families, each other here, those outside. And so God, please give us strength to do this. We need your help by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.